I'd like to do a few different thank yous. Um, Matt Luloyan is on sabbatical, and I'm going to pray for him a little bit. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm the network director, kind of a pastor for pastors. I live in Philadelphia, started the first Liberty Church, and I'm going to get to visit five different Liberty Churches this summer and preach at a bunch of them and bring greetings. And I just want to thank a bunch of people. Uh, I want to thank you for sending Matt and Shay and their girls on sabbatical, and we'll pray for them that God would continue to meet them and bless them and lead them as they take this time out to meet with God and gear up for this next season of life and ministry for them and Liberty Harrisburg. Uh, it's a big deal. And let's pray that God meets them in deep ways. Uh, there's another Liberty pastor on sabbatical as well. This is actually a thing. Let's work really hard. Uh, pastors typically work uh, six days a week, not one. Sorry, don't say that. It's not a funny joke to pastors. We'll be like, ha ha, ha ha, actually six days a week. Uh, and then there's some times of sabbatical to re-gear, re meet with God in deep ways, and get ready for what's next. When a guy like Matt, who's super efficient and gifted and godly and wise, when he disappears, everyone else has to step up. And so in a second, I want you to give a hand to the elders and the deacons and John and Paige and the entire staff who actually are shouldering, shouldering more weight. There's more stuff to do. There's when a, a guy like Matt Luloyan steps off the team, the team adjusts, and it's good. Everybody grows, but these guys are, are working like crazy and working hard. So can you thank them, uh, John and Paige? Um, I think it's great you hired Paige. I saw her resume and heard her heart and was like, that's a great hire. Uh, that is awesome. I would have, if you guys hadn't hired her, I would have tried to figure out how to helicopter her whole family and just drop them in Philadelphia. Um, no, I know, I know, she's here. So that's, so that was the right response, good job. So another thing I wanna thank you guys about, um, you give to other Liberty Churches. There's a church in Northeast Philadelphia where some people have already met Jesus and who were outside God, outside the church, didn't walk with Jesus, know Jesus, believe in Jesus, and now uh, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, have been baptized into the family of God that is in Jesus. And that church just launched in, in January. You guys have been generous to Liberty Northeast, also Liberty Montco. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Generosity is a gift. It's, an, it's a grace. And uh, in one point in the New Testament, Paul says, just as like you excel at other gifts, like the gift of speaking and leading and counseling each other with the word and encouraging each other, let's seek to excel in that gift as well. Let's be generous to other churches and other causes in the world, and you're bringing the baby bottles back and help an important justice and mercy cause in the area. That's awesome. Keep on doing that stuff, and thank you. I want to thank you. Uh, from the other Liberty Churches. And guess what's also exciting? Uh, one of your guys, Casey Horvath, and his wife Katie are at Liberty Collingswood this morning. And he's preaching at a church that started seven years ago. And they're going to say, hey, check out this guy, Casey Horvath. Guess what he wants to do? He wants to plant a church in Lebanon. Have you ever heard of that? And people in New Jersey will be like, 
No. And some of them will be like, yeah, I know that place and whatever. But pray for Lebanon and 100,000 people in that county. This is huge. They're going to say, we got to pray for Casey and, uh, and Katie and pray for their team and pray for their gathering. And they're going to say, and Liberty Collingswood, you remember, some of you do, because there's a lot of new people, what it was like to start out as a brand new church and to gather. So we need to pray for this guy, and they're going to hear the word of God from him. So um, we want, and I'm going to encourage other churches to be generous to the Horvaths and to Liberty Le Lebanon, but also thank you for being generous and helping these other Liberty churches start. So can you give yourselves a round of applause by God's grace? Praise God. Praise God. It's a little weak. It feels weak to give yourself a round of applause. I understand that. But you're, you're like, yes, let's give God thanks that God gave us grace to be generous. That's what you're doing. You're saying, God, thank you. You enabled us to be generous and to help other churches. So uh, I'm thankful for all those things. Why don't I pray for us as we turn to God's word? Be encouraged. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless Matt and Shea Luloyan at this point in their sabbatical. We pray they would have deep rest in their souls, in their bodies. We pray this time would be a blessing to their families. And we pray that you would meet them so deeply that they would come back renewed and recharged. We pray for the entire team, everyone on staff, all the elders and deacons. We pray that they would grow in new ways during the sabbatical. Hold them up with the weight that they're under and bless them. And I do pray for Liberty Harrisburg, uh, three or four weeks away from their budget meeting, that you would continue to grow them in the grace of giving and they would have joy at blessing. Justice causes in central PA, church plants in central PA and all over PA, Lord, we pray that their joy in giving and supporting all different kinds of ministries would increase. Teach us. Teach us your word now. Speak to us. Open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. And we pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I invite you to turn to page 996 in the Bibles. Or... You can look at it on the screen. This is 2 Timothy, page 996. And by the way, you're allowed to just keep one of those Bibles. Listen to the Word of God. So this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. This is the last letter we have. The Apostle Paul, who's planted churches all over the place, has suffered a bunch, is telling a young pastor how to hang on, how not to flip out, and he's telling the church what to expect in the future. And he says things like, hey, in the future, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, et cetera, et cetera. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he's, he's saying not everyone, don't expect always a warm reception to the word of God and the truth of God. Don't expect the world to be like, thank you for rebuking us, correcting us, 
even when it comes with the message of grace that is in Jesus that can save you. He's saying, don't be surprised. And he says, actually, there'll always be persecution if you walk with Jesus. So be mindful of that as we listen. And you're going through a series on your doctrinal statement, and we come today to some teaching on the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, starting with verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Now, you're going through your doctrinal statement. This isn't one of the culturally cool things that you believe as Liberty Harrisburg. You could say, hey, we believe in the kingdom of God and that God came into the world in the person of Jesus and people can be made new and be forgiven. And even people who don't believe it will be like, oh, that's, that's all right. That's kind of cool. If you say, hey, you know what? We're Liberty Harrisburg and we believe that the Bible is the word of God. At best, you're going to get this, the high pitch, yeah. Yeah, sure. That's great. Yeah. All right, then. All right. Why is that? Why is the yeah a little high pitch? Well, some people have seen the Bible be used to slap other people around. The Bible is a weapon. Oh, the Bible's here to make you hate stuff. No. So people have seen the Bible held sideways to knock people's teeth out unkindly. What about, and there's a lot of confusion about the Bible too, what about the confusing passages? What do we do with that? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what about all the compute? Can we trust it? Is it just the words of people? I'm going to argue no. But there's reasons why. Uh, the Bible's been misused. Some parts are hard to understand. And there's a lot of this. Did God really say? Does the Bible really say? Did the Bible really say this? It's actually the beginning of the Bible, which is poetic, and a lot of it rhymes. The first few chapters of Genesis, the serpent actually says in the garden, did God really say, come on now, did God really say, there's a lot of, did God really say? Some of it is fair and understandable. What did God really say? And some is, frankly, the piece of, in all of us that finds it easy to resist, rebel, and stand against God and who he is and what he says. 
And if you don't, if you've been a Christian for a while and you don't recognize that that's still in you, that's a mark of spiritual immaturity. There's actually, until we meet Jesus, there's a part of us that finds it hard to accept everything God says and submit to it, trust to it, give ourselves completely to it, and come under it. And knowing that that, that piece of you still exists is actually wise. It's humble. So this is the word young pastor is given. I'm going to give you three reasons to listen to God's word. Three reasons, as we go through this passage, three reasons to say, I've got to, as a community, we've got to learn to listen to God's word, heed God's word, be shaped by God's word, struggle, yes, struggle to understand it so we can explain it to each other and know what to deal with the hard parts, but live with it and follow Jesus being guided by it. Three reasons to listen to God's word. First is this, listen to God's word in order to hear the truth of God in order to hear the truth of God. Uh, it is God's word. What was the passage read for us earlier? Uh, 3, 16 and 17. Look at the passage again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. It's profitable by teaching. Now, uh, Paul basically made up a word, breathed out by God. God breathed. And he's clearly saying it's from God. The, the scriptures have this huge boast that these human words are actually from the maker and creator of the universe and the one who sent his son supremely to save the world and the people in it. What does it mean that it's God-breathed? Well, a guy named B.B. Warfield, um, who taught in our general area, he taught at Princeton Seminary. He's an East Coast guy for a long time. He retired in 1921. B.B. Warfield wrote a book called The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible, and he points out this. There's a key both. The scriptures are both the work of people and the Holy Spirit, both the work of people and the Holy Spirit. God worked through the culture and voice and personality and gifts and abilities of the person, and it's also the Word of God. So the operation of inspiration, like prophecy, is a process of the Spirit. So Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 1. Here, we're going to put this up on the screen. 2 Peter 1, he's explaining how the Bible came to be. We did not follow cleverly, cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, saying we saw it. We didn't make it up. We saw it. And he talks for a while about what he saw, and then at the end of this paragraph, I'm just going to read starting with verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. People didn't make it up. They didn't make it up. 
So this is in your doctrinal statement. You believe a God and a God who is a speaking God who by his spirit has graciously disclosed, disclosed himself in human words. God speaks also through human words. Now look at this key both. It's both through human voices and it's also the word of God. Um, next slide. Jesus at one point, he's quoting Psalm 110. It's recorded in Mark 12. And Jesus says, David himself said in the Holy Spirit, then he quotes Psalm 110. David himself said, in the Holy Spirit, he quotes a psalm. Peter quotes another psalm. Uh, and it's recorded in Acts 116 and flips it. The Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. The Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. Now, which is it? It's both. It's a key both. And so one of the, the unhelpful things that's being said frequently by the Bible, and this was, uh, was interesting, you brought up Bart Ehrman this morning. He is simply saying, can you see how culturally situated this is? Can you see these are just people? These are human words. We know it's human words in a culture. We know that it's shaped even by their personality. But the Bible uh, also is the word of God. That's the claim. No one, apart from the Ten Commandments, it wasn't inscribed in a rock and just delivered, dropped down from heaven. It came through the personality and language and culture and gifts and insights of a person. They were carried along through human authors, and yet it's God. So does this mean, let's say, okay, so Luke wrote Luke, we can figure that out pretty easily. And also Acts. He wrote both. And at the beginning of both, he, he, especially in Luke, he claims to have researched things. He's carefully investigated these things. You can read the beginning of Luke. Okay, So God worked through his careful investigation of stuff. And he's the one who uh, we learn about what Mary thought from Luke. As if he interviewed Mary. It's the most logical explanation. He was alive, and to learn about it, he talked to Mary. Because it's in Luke, there will be things like, and Mary thought, fill in the blank. Now, was Luke? did Luke just go in a room and close his eyes, and he didn't even know what he was writing? No. God worked through that research. B.B. Warfield put it like this. Revelation was not entirely external to the prophets, nor did it seize their minds in a state of private ecstasy. He didn't just like close his mind and then like, I scribbled for four hours and then Acts was there. No, they were intelligently present. Luke was aware that he had researched, being inspired, and working hard on it. And yet, also, God is speaking in it as he records God's words and what God did. Now, this is an old illustration. It's called the problem with stained glass. We don't have any stained glass here. But you can go with it. Stay with me, Harrisburg. 
people will say, okay, isn't that precisely the problem? So we have the pure light of God, the light of God's word, but then it comes through the stained glass of a fallen person. Luke didn't claim to be um, divine. Luke didn't claim to be perfect. Luke didn't claim to be uh, wholly sanctified. How can we trust that the pure light of God, as it came through the stained glass, isn't the stained glass going to kind of mess it up? Well, uh, except God's involved. And there's passages like in Isaiah 46. God is the God who can call a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. God acts like I can raise up people, even a pagan king, Cyrus. That's what he does and predicts to do and then does in the book of Isaiah. I can raise up who I want for my purposes. Do we, should we probably think God could pull that off? If God's, you know, God, probably. So we need to know it is from God, though it came through human agency and parts. Here's what's also confusing. At different points in church history, the human aspect was devalued and de-emphasized. And even with like the four different gospels, the four different gospels were written by four different personalities and had four different audiences. Are we speaking mostly to Jewish folks and Israelites? Are we speaking to Romans and Greeks? Who are we talking to? Hey, let's recognize these human authors. And they had, uh, they had a goal. And yet it was God's word. So sometimes the human aspect has been devalued. Also, now, and this happens now, the divine aspect. That through those different human authors, God was working. That's what's being denied now. Now, uh, here's what this truth will do. Here's why it's useful. The truth of God enables you to go cross-current and actually follow Christ in a cross-current way and not just be in the lazy river. I love the Susquehanna River. I've been in Pennsylvania my whole life, all different parts of Pennsylvania. I love the small rivers of Pennsylvania. And you know what's fun to do in Pennsylvania? Get yourself a tube. You want to relax. It's, been a, it's a hard gig being a dad. Kick back in the tube and enjoy the lazy river. Right? Amen? Can I get an amen? Right? I see some, some nodding faces. But if you find yourself in a strong current... You know, the Susquehanna can, uh, can be really strong. You can find yourself in a situation where it's hard to go uh, just sideways to the current, let alone get anywhere, go across the current. And what, what happens to people, what happens to cultures, what happens to communities, and yes, individuals, without the truth of God, you will tend to be captured by the lazy river current of your cultural moment. Without the truth of God, you will just think like people from your community and from your culture and being shaped by uh, the wider culture. We're all inescapably shaped by all of that. I am too. And yet the Bible has these very, always has these very countercultural aspects to it. Here is a, 
And we, we need the engine of the Bible. The engine of the Bible, it's like putting an outboard engine all on your lazy river inner tube, and then you can go against the current in ways that you need to. Here's some countercultural stuff that you don't struggle with at all. So Genesis 1, God created humanity in his own image. In the image of man, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do people in the Harrisburg area or the Philly area struggle with, hey, we actually think that people made are in the image of God. Is anyone going to give you a black eye for that? No, we take that for granted. People have dignity. Male and female have dignity. No matter what race you have dignity, no matter what gender you have dignity, no matter if you're handicapped, you have dignity because you're made in the image of God. In the ancient world, that was revolutionary. You know who was made in the image of God? The kings. The male king was made in the image of his God, and he alone was made in the image of God. And so that they would actually... uh, the king would put an image of himself because he was the image of God, and look, I'm the one who can communicate with the God. Everyone else is lower. So they're saying to a nation of slaves, hey, actually, though you are under Pharaoh's thumb, Pharaoh is under God's thumb, and you were all made in the image of God. Pharaoh, who had the image of his God on his head, Ra, the sun god, the sun emblem, and a snake emblem. He had the image of his gods in gold on his head. God says, you know what? Here's the truth of God. My people, the human race, male and female, not just men, male and female are made in the image of God. And all of you who are now slaves, who I'm about to free and lead to freedom, Liberty would be a great church name. Lead the freedom. You're all made in the image of God. It was countercultural. Blew everyone's mind away. Uh, there are other countercultural aspects now. Stuff that the Bible says about sexuality. Stuff that the Bible says about the existence of gender. And what it, what it looks like to live into that. And it is complex sometimes with the confusion of how the world has shattered our bodies and our minds and our hearts. But God speaks counterculturally. Don't we need to think for ourselves, you say? Yes, we need to think for ourselves. Do we ever truly think for ourselves? We're always being shaped by the culture around and actually, here's, where, here's how I'd nuance that. You need to think for yourself, but, the, but you won't find the truth in yourself. In this cultural moment, we've said, look, we need to not just be part of the herd, right? And we need to resist the herd. And that's a narrative that's out there. It's like the subject of kids' movies in a healthy way. There's ways that we're supposed to resist the flow and just think what everyone else thinks. Yes, but uh, we don't discover the truth within. We need to believe the truth within, but we don't create the truth within. Uh, The truth is out there, X-Files. The truth is, though, external to us. We need to discover it and believe it. 
and have it resonate within us? Yes. But we don't create it. We don't create truth. And so when someone's like, well, this is just true for me, this is true for me. So do you think, and this example is intentionally ridiculous, hey, this is just true for me. So do you think it's just okay for you? You could create a world where it's like okay to torture puppies. And that's okay, because that's your truth. You just created that. Or is there a truth out there where actually we're like, no, don't do that. That would be wrong to do, capital W wrong, inherently. There's truth. Surprise, surprise. I'll resist truth sometimes. You'll resist truth sometimes. The world will resist truth sometimes. And we need to listen to the word of God to hear his truth. It's from God. Point number one. These are going to go a little bit faster. This won't be a 3 p.m. service ending time. John Robinson just started to pray silently to himself. Uh, second point, listen to the word of God to learn about the Son of God. You know what the Bible's about? Jesus. Look at what he says. Hey, Timothy, all scriptures breathed out from God, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's what you have. It's a breathed out scripture. But look at the verse before it. How you have from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, these scriptures, listen to the scriptures so you learn about Jesus. Listen to the scriptures so you can be saved. Listen to the scriptures so you can be wise for salvation, how to be saved through Jesus. It's not primarily to make us wise for our health. It's not primarily to make us wise for finances, though we could listen to stuff in both those areas. It's primarily to make us wise to be forgiven and loved by the God who made the universe, to make us be, how, to help us be saved by him, because guess what? You need to be saved by him. Why? Do I get kind of fiery when the topic is, do we need to plant some more churches? Here's why. Now, let's plant a bunch of churches. We were never trying to start a franchise. I had no idea there'd be this many Liberty churches. I just wanted to see a bunch of churches start. By God's grace, that name has been helpful and been shared. That's how that happened. The passion is this. People without Jesus are without God and without his hope in the world. They're lost. Do you remember being like that? That's many of us. I remember not believing. Here's a, here's a story for Paige to share the, with the Sunday school volunteers. I remember mocking the Sunday school volunteers at the church near my house. A single lady who was older, who volunteered her time to run a youth club. And I remember her getting in her car and driving off, and I just made fun of her in her car, who was, she had come to run a free youth club to tell us about Jesus. And I remember mocking her and her car. 
I was a kind-hearted young boy. And she drove off, and I remember thinking, she's really kind. I wonder if it's because the, st the stuff about Jesus is true. I stood there by myself thinking about it. God had some other plans for me, apparently. Ha, God got the last laugh on that one. But do you believe that? Have you thought about that? The reason why we need to be intense about the mission of Jesus, to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in central Pennsylvania and in Philly and in Jersey in this region is that people without Jesus are not saved. And they'll meet the God of the universe to whom they are accountable to, and they will be in their sins. The scripture is really clear. God made the world, and every human being, me, you, everybody, we're going to stand and give account of our life before a holy and good God. And all the ways we've not loved God, thanked God, sought God, we'll have to answer for. And the, the things we've done to people, the ways we haven't loved people as we love ourselves, and we've abused and mocked and ridiculed and taken and stolen and been unkind to people who are made in God's image, the one we have to answer to is God. And so it's really kind that God sent Jesus, and the Bible's about Jesus. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's the ultimate word. God has spoken to us by Jesus. And how to understand the Bible, it's about Jesus. It culminates in Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Jesus fulfills all the promises. It's one story. It's not a garbage bag full of fortune cookies, like a garbage bag full of fortune cookies. You just can reach your hand around there and pull out things, and they're not connected, and pull out little snippets. And it just doesn't work that way. So if you do it that way, and you just flip open the Bible, and you turn to 1 Samuel 18, you're like, gather around, kids. We're going to have a little Bible time. 1 Samuel 18, King Saul tells King David, well, the king desires that the bride price be 100 foreskins for the, of the Philistines. David has to go kill 100 Philistines and bring their foreskins back as a bride price. There's a little chicken soup for your soul, <laughs> Liberty Harrisburg, just to bless you. What's that there for? What, what do we need to know? Well, here's what's happening there. In the grand, the big story of the Bible, and we see in Samuel, First and Second Samuel, and in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, look, Saul's a bad king. He endangers others. Hey, you go defeat the enemies, David. Would you go do that? Would you go kill the enemies for me? We need a king like Jesus who endangered himself doesn't endanger others. He was actually trying to kill David, get David killed. We need a king who will actually lay down his own life to take out our enemies. We need a king, a warrior king like David, but who won't just come and defeat temporary enemies who come back. We need a perfect king who will come and defeat our deepest enemies, sin, death. And we need a king that could actually have a kingdom that lasts forever. 
And you read those passages of the Bible, and you see your, our own self-protection, our own failures. We need a greater king. That king's Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus, and that's why it's really good news. And the Bible has this heart that propels us outward. It's all about Jesus. And when people get Jesus, everything changes. Uh, there's a lot of things I could tell you about, but we don't have time. I could tell you about John Wycliffe and how he suffered so that we would have the scriptures in England, in English. I could tell you about, there's John Wycliffe or William Tyndale, whose dying prayer was the king's eyes would be opened. Two years later, the English king said, let's put a Bible, an English Bible in every church. We could think about that history, but I'm going to tell you about the history of a people in Africa. There's a tribe, the Moru people, about 100,000 people in the heart of South Sudan in Africa. You actually gave, so you gave this year some money so that there would be a training for church planners in South Sudan, the world's newest country. Some of the churches that are being planted are among the Moru people, M-O-R-U. In 1920, a World War vet showed up, and he was really brave. He was a decorated World War I vet. Why did the tribe love him? Well, he's a really brave hunter. How did he bond, like, bond himself with the chief? They went hunting together, and he stood his ground and stopped a charging water buffalo, a wounded water buffalo, which actually, if you look up, is the most dangerous big game animal. Like you have to have the perfect heart shot or the perfect head shot. And even with a heart shot, those things can run around for two minutes. Super dangerous. This guy, Kenneth Frazier, stands his ground, takes out the charging water buffalo. The chief is like, I love you. A brother from another mother. You are a brave hunter. We'll accept you. What did Kenneth Frazier do? did some medical work, trained local medical workers, translated a bunch of the New Testament, and then he died. His wife stayed there for 20 years. It was actually her vision. She had a dream, and when they got to that part in Africa, she's like, these are the people that I saw in my dream. This is where we're called to go. What happened next? They took what he had shown them and translated the rest of their Bible. And so they showed me that Bible. I did a pastoral training with them five years ago with the Bible that they finished. And now there's an 80-year-old guy working on the 2.0 version of this. They're like, isn't this great? We're doing our second translation into Moru. Here's the guy, Canon Morris. You want to meet uh, this 85-year-old retired priest? who's working on the second version of it. Yeah, I want to meet him. And he goes in, he has a room and all these papers, and he's working on it. What's happening there? They have the scriptures, and the word of God is bearing fruit. Uh, at that time, Liberty was like five or six churches. I met guys who are like nine churches, uh, 12 churches. Yeah, I've started churches in these 12 villages over here. They were like, it's okay, Steve, you have like six. We keep on trying hard. I'm sure it'll work out. Keep, hang in there. No, they weren't like that at all. They were encouraging. The point I'm telling is the word of God is bearing fruit. And when the word of God gets in a people, 
they'll not only have the comfort of the gospel, they'll have his call. And this is how I want to end. Third point is this. Listen to God's word to hear the call to the mission of God and also have God's comfort. People are lost. Maybe some of us here today are lost. Maybe some of us here today, you need to hear that God sent his son in the person of Jesus to die for your sins, and you have business with God to do over that. And God put you here today to hear clarity about the call and comfort of the gospel. The comfort of the gospel is Jesus died for your sins and so that you wouldn't have to pay for them. And he rose from the dead. And this is the best news ever. And you can be saved through Jesus. You're adopted into his family then. You can be part of the community of Jesus. That's what the church is. The Bible tells us how to be saved because we need to be. And then it puts you on the mission of God. Why do the Liberty Churches have this mission statement? We, live, we seek to live, speak, and serve the very presence of Jesus. Because when Jesus saves you, what did he do when he called disciples? Did he just say, look, I need an audience to watch my stuff? No, he made them part of what he was doing. And since as people who believe the gospel and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are now the hands and feet of Jesus in central PA, along with all the other churches that love Jesus. So give your friends and neighbors the hug of Jesus, be the tears of Jesus, be the comforting words of Jesus. And yes, let's follow God on the mission of Jesus. Let's plant some more churches that more people would hear. The cause is urgent. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. I think that means the greater works. It's going to spread throughout the world. And Jesus tells us to pray. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Friends, this is good news. Jesus brings us into what he's doing. We need his word to guide us. Liberty Harrisburg, may you be a spirit-indwelt, Bible-loving people guided by the word of God, listening to the word of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.